morning, everyone. This is Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. Thanks for joining us today. You got uh, Timothy Plain here, and along with me, as always, is Ulrich Purcell. Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, good night, good evening, good day. <laughs> Whatever time it is. Yeah. I haven't told you this yet, but I'm kind of having second thoughts about how helpful this podcast is for people. <laughs> In what way? <laughs> well, last week I found this podcast called Indie Film Hustle. Right. I think he started around the same time we did, too. And he has like 20 years of experience. He's living in LA. It sounds like he's done a lot more work, has way more experience than us. And I feel like his opinion is way more valuable than ours. I'm trying to take a step back and be like, all right, well, that's not what we're doing. We're not giving people advice on like how to succeed. We don't know how to succeed. Right. We're saying we don't know how to succeed. We're in the midst of it. But listening to his podcast, I just got worried that maybe some of our episodes are kind of verging on the in the advice territory. So we just maybe need to kind of reevaluate how we're presenting or maybe how we're picking our topics or something. Right. Well, the whole concept of this thing was never to be like a, a filmmaking school or filmmaking advice and tips. It was more like the struggle of uh, filmmakers who aren't established yet, who don't have the experience of 20 years, who don't have, uh, you know, the accolades or the credits, you know, people who are just like either finding a camera for the first time or have just been making uh, films on their own or, you know, maybe had a couple film festivals that they went to and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And we're trying to do the same thing and we're figuring out what to do next and we're just doing it and keeping keeping on making movies that's the voice i wanted to hear from yeah that's the voice i want too yeah but i'm I'm just worried that we're losing a little bit of that and i want to make sure that anytime that we're talking about stuff that we're always keeping that in mind and I, I don't necessarily feel like there's anything wrong with what we're doing now i mean i think that like in talking about things like story structure and story or even working with actors, like I think it's important to just uh, keep on doing what I think we've been doing and just stating that we don't know all the answers and we're not like teaching a class or trying to be professors or anything. We're just talking about how we've done it in our own work and our own, you know, stories and films that we've made. Well, yeah, then I guess that's what my question is. How valuable is it to people to hear us talk about how we work with actors or what a producer does or how to give and, and receive feedback? Because we don't know. So what what's the value in telling other people our thoughts on it? Where I think the podcast should probably be more about maybe our experience of things. I don't know. I'm, well, that, not, I'm, that, tra- I'm struggling. That's with what it, it is, bit. though. It is our experience with things, you know. I mean, and I think uh, I don't know if it's valuable or not. I guess to be honest, like I just think that <laughs> I, I personally, me, I would be interested in hearing that. Like I would listen to a podcast where other people are talking about how they work with actors, even if they weren't um, experienced. Um, because I think that's fascinating and I love to hear how other people approach uh, filmmaking and the, how other people approach uh, telling stories, you know, and, es- and especially people who aren't um, extremely successful because it's it's like that's even more fascinating to me. Like, how are they getting started? How are they like thinking about approaching a subject? Like, are they just copying what they see other big budget filmmakers do or are they just doing what they feel is right? I mean, I think it's interesting 
I don't know if anyone else thinks it's interesting, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like we've gotten enough positive feedback where I feel like it seems validated to me at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know about yeah. you, but I mean, we haven't gotten any hate mail or anything, have we? No, but I felt no, but we've lost viewership or listenership. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's People probably natural. Off. I mean, we're not doing any marketing, you know. <laughs> I just got worried, especially because the past few episodes lined up with podcast i just heard the script notes podcast where they talked to the the first time director marielle heller Mm -hmm. who did diary of a teenage girl and they had a little bit in there about the feedback process i think with her experience at sundance labs and that was just what they said there for like two minutes was more valuable than our entire feedback episode and it's like oh man everyone's just beating us no wonder why we're losing listeners like we have nothing to say i uh, and, i don't know man i mean i feel like it's different you know cuz what we're talking about is you know just how how we deal with giving criticism to each other and other people i mean i don't think it needs to be like a sundance labs in order for it to be validated you know yeah i i think i went through a process like over the last week where i felt the way that i just talked about where i was like oh man total fraud like we have nothing to talk about i don't know why we're even doing this to now being more of like on board with what you're saying is we're just offering a different perspective and and maybe we just need to be very clear about what that perspective is because i know as a filmmaker I really like listening to interviews with different filmmakers because I like to hear how everyone approaches it differently. That's what kind of inspires me just to hear that there's everyone's approaching it in a different way and everyone has different thoughts and feelings about how it works. And that I, I would say empowers me in that I don't need to know the right answers in order to be good at what I'm doing because no one really knows what the right answer is. They're just doing what feels right to them. We don't know the answers. We're still trying to figure it out. The perspective you're hearing in our podcast is that of a filmmaker who's struggling to succeed, struggling to make this a career. And I don't know how clear that's coming across to people, but let's make it clear now. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely clear in the first like five to ten episodes because I think we said it every episode like ten times. (laughs) Um, But I think we stopped saying it just because I thought that, you know, it was a little redundant. But yeah, maybe we was work it into the our intro statement that we do every week, you know, just like saying that we don't know the answers that we're just figuring things out that we're not trying to claim that we have all the experience in the world or that we know what's best that, you know, we're just talking about what we're doing and what we're trying and trying to figure out what to do next, just doing it, you know, and not, and not giving up and not, not quitting, you know? Yeah. I think that would help me out. I, I, Cause I, I worry that people coming into this, might think that we're trying to do something else so let's rework the intro at some point yeah and figure out because you were you're right when we first started out we were very clear about it but we're now so far away from when we started that anyone new that's coming into the show isn't really going to know unless they go back and i know when it like when i started listening to script notes i didn't go back to episode one to hear their mission statement i just started listening to it yeah and same thing with indie film hustle like i just listened to like three of his episodes just just to hear like what he was doing and i i don't know what his mission statement is either um so we just have to be careful that new people coming into the show don't think that we're proclaiming to be experts at this stuff. I mean, you'd never catch us, you know, giving a seminar or anything or like trying <laughs> to teach a class. Like that's just not 
that's just not what we're doing, you know, and that's never what we wanted to do. It was always just about just having a conversation, like replicating our old phone calls that we used to have uh, way back when we first got to know each other, where we would just yeah. talk for hours about what we were dealing with. And like, you know, you would give advice, I would give advice, or we would just, just talk it out about just whatever, you know, related to film. So I don't know. I mean, that's where the whole podcast kernel came from. So I, I feel like we've been pretty good at keeping that alive and at, at the same time you know being succinct and like just not rambling about nothing you know <laughs> we're trying to at least. right i think we're getting better at that yeah the next thing i wanted to challenge us with is being very deliberate with our words because in the last episode and maybe we were just really tired but i noticed i said like every other word I, especially when we're struggling i think we tend to fill in those gaps with for me it's like and you it's like whatever or you know or it's my favorite is uh like you know uh you know like um that's my favorite a trilogy of words to say um yeah we should be careful yeah and, and like when I, if you're willing to take that challenge oh, absolutely. i'm gonna try yeah i mean that's always been the the plan i mean <laughs> my wife told me before we even started she's like she's you know you say you know a lot and i was like what what are you talking about and she's like you you know and then i we were talking she's like you just said it three times i was like what no i didn't oh shit yeah i did damn <laughs> so yeah it's it's it's, tar it's hard I'll, I'll uh I'll, I'll get better i'll focus on it you know i saw that note and i was like yeah i know <laughs> yeah <it's> just... <laughs> that's uh definitely definitely what i do <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to not talk like yourself though, right? Right. I mean, and, and you told me when we first started, you're like, you, you, it doesn't matter. You're like, I don't, I don't care. Like we should just sound like a regular conversation. <laughs> like we don't need to worry about try trying to sound like broadcasters. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm oh, I said that? yeah, you did say that or something oh, like that. I'm so smart sometimes. Okay. I thought it was a smart thing, but there is a, a line, you know, I think what I was feeling in the last episode was we were using it a lot to fill in things that we just didn't know anything about. I I use it to or, buy time or, or also, being, you know, yeah, just while, exactly. while I'm thinking. <laughs> I also just <laughs> yeah, like or, to say, you know, because like, <laughs> you know, I just did it. I just did a three because like, you know, <laughs> oh, like, you know, oh my God. like, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, what did you well, just, it just say? becomes I think it becomes a little vague at some point. So we just need to be careful that we're not using it to not be specific. Right. So anyways, I have a few more things to talk about. But before we do. What's going on with you? What's what's happened over the last week? Yeah, I've just been working on finishing Brother. I've been saying that for for weeks, but yeah, we're just on the the final stages. I I'm still waiting on visual effects and uh we're doing the sound mix this week. So, from what I remember last week you had to lock your cut on Monday. Yeah. Well, it's been right. it's been locked for a while, but I've been like relocking it, unlocking it and relocking <laughs> it. Um, but I think it's right. pretty much locked locked now. Um and you took care of all your actor notes and uh, he's happy. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's happy as he's going to be, you know. Um yeah. <laughs> he he'll, he'll be more happy when it's like finished and and polished and everything and you know, all that. And then it gets into a film festival, which I'm sure it will. But yeah, I'm be, I'm basically just finishing that and I'm starting to write another project and I'm getting really hungry to direct another short film right now. Um mm -hmm. and I definitely the next one I do is definitely going to be part of uh, a feature whether or not it's the feature I've already written or it's this other feature that I'm like wanting to write now. 
that's the question, but um, I think I want to to shoot another short uh, that I direct probably in January or maybe December. Um, probably January to be realistic, just because it's like they're both not even written yet. But I, I, <laughs> right. but I mean, it, it's not going to be like there won't be any visual effects. There won't be any, um, you know, special effects. There one might have some if if I do the short of uh, the of the alternate the feature that I've written then there'd probably have to be at least some sort of visual effect, but the other one that I haven't even told you about yet that I just like have started writing, that one there's like zero visual effects or or it's all in camera like which is like pretty cool and it's still science fiction it's still you know got some cool stuff but it's just uh, way more way more simple. Um, just remember what it was like when you were doing the visual effects for strange thing and how long you had to wait. Right. My plea to you is do a film that has no visual effects over my dead body was a godsend. I know being able to just edit it and finish it was so great and very cleansing for my soul. Yeah. I think that's what I want. And I, and I don't want to spend a crap ton of money on it either. You know, like I think just, just doing it like even lower budget than we did, uh, over my dead body. Like, I think that would be my goal, you know? Um, so we'll, we'll see if that happens and how that goes. But I think that's sort of what I've been really excited about lately. But I just need to get brother out and done and finished first. And then, um, you know, start planning how I'm going to release that. And I think I'm still sticking with the whole film festival first and online, online release plan. Um, but if, if I don't get into any film festival, you know, I might just release it online without yeah. that. You mentioned that you're feeling hungry to direct another short. Have you ever pinpointed when that feeling comes back after you finished a film? No, not really. And I think it's sort of, it's been different times. Like when I finished Strange Thing, I wasn't really hungry for another short. I was hungry to do the feature, like really like just like that's all I cared about. And I thought that I wasn't even going to try to think about another short for a long time. And then, um... Yeah, I, I didn't, you know, <laughs> like I basically, I just did the whole film festival thing. And then basically once that was like on the tail end, that's when I was starting to, uh, you know, get hungry to do something again. And then that's when we did uh, Over My Dead Body together. And then like right after that, at around the same time, actually, I shot that um, zombie piece that I actually directed. Oh, yeah. So that, right. that was like, you know, basically a year after I had uh, finished the movie was when that happened. But I think. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely it's definitely a lot faster this time. And I think it's just because I'm I'm really excited about my growth and I feel like I've I've seen some kind of um clear growth from project to project and I want to uh you know keep growing and keep moving forward and I think making another movie will help me do that. But I think it's sort of clear that, you know, I'm not really a writer writer it's just not really where my my heart is like i'm i'm just more into the creation of it like into mm -hmm. the, being on set and, and directing and making the story come alive you got to do the george lucas thing where you just like write a detailed outline and then give it to lawrence kazdan and then he writes the thing yeah do you have lawrence's number <laughs> uh yeah yeah i'll introduce you oh, there's actually a really cool uh i'll have to put this in the show notes there's um Somebody had taken a transcript of the tapes where George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were briefing Lawrence Kasdan on, on Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the ideas they had. And it's just a jumbled mess of ideas. Mm. 
and it's pretty cool to to look at and i think also because i feel like george lucas also had like a pretty tight outline like idea of like how the story was going to come together but it was really up to to lawrence to put the whole thing into like a a a semblance of a shape Mm. and i I thought it was really fascinating because you can see how far things come along in the development process it's not like ideas obviously ideas aren't just like beautiful and, and masterful when they first come out yeah but it's hard to see that process when you're just watching a film yeah and, and i'm kind of doing that right now on a project like i'm a writer is writing stuff for a feature and as she's writing she's sending me pages and oh, cool. asking for my like my notes you know um so i'm not writing it but i'm like kind of involved with the creation of the story so that's really been a satisfying um experience for me and that's why i kind of feel like you know, working with writers is something that I want to do more because so far it's it's really been a good experience. Yeah, once you can find writers you you trust and and you like working with, it makes all the difference. I didn't do that for a long time just because I didn't know anybody that was interested in making movies or the people I knew in writing were copywriters at ad agencies and they just weren't really serious about it. They'd be like, yeah, 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 I want to write a movie, and then you try to get them to do any work, and they're like, oh, I'm so busy. You have to find the people that really want to do it. Right. Exactly. Um, Or who are already doing it. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I just feel like the most of the writers I know are either writing for themselves um, or, you know, yeah, or or for someone else already. You know, like I don't really know anybody who just has a bunch of scripts that they want to get made, um, you know, (laughs) or a bunch of ideas they want to turn into scripts or or willing to hear an idea I have and make it into a movie you know that that's kind of the person i wish i i knew right now um and i just don't have that person you know but uh that's okay i, think, I mean i think that requires money usually <laughs> yeah because the, the writers that are just writing for their own on their own aren't gonna be super excited to work on somebody else's idea yeah exactly and unless they're at a certain point in their their writing career where they're they just want that experience and they're willing to do it but yeah, it's hard to convince other... It's just hard in general to convince other people to work on your idea. Yeah. Even when it's like a finished script. I remember when Spirit Machine was done and I had the script. I had I had some kind of ideas on paper and I was ready to go into production. Just trying to get people on board was so tough. Yeah. And it takes a long time to get enough people and enough momentum on board before the project just starts going. But that first initial process of getting people excited about it is the hardest part about filmmaking. Yeah. I never had a problem finding crew or especially like a DP or a gaffer. Like those people are really easy for me to find just because I guess maybe because I know those people. Um, But trying to find somebody who's going to put a lot of time in pre-production with you, uh, that is what is almost damn near impossible, you know, because everybody like is busy and everybody has their own projects they're working on and trying to convince somebody to care uh, as much as you do or even half as much as you do about your own project is like almost impossible, you know, and that's something I've just been learning to deal with is like, you know, no one's going to care as much as you about your project. And it's, I think it's always going to be true, you know, like you're always going to care the most and that's just what you have to, it's just the thing that you have to learn to yeah, live with. Yeah, because even from like being a producer on commercials, 
when I get a script on my desk, I'm usually not super excited about the work that I have to do. It's kind of like, oh, here we go. Here we go again. And then somewhere along the way, I get excited about the project and I'll invest in it. But I'm never as invested in it as the people that wrote the script. I know that for a fact. Yeah. But I think if you can convince people to get on board, usually throughout the process, they are they do start to invest in it. But it's convincing them at first to get into it and put all that work into it because that's what, what it is. That's why people don't want to commit to anything because there's so much work ahead of ahead of you. Yeah. So they want to make sure they're picking the right project. But if you can convince them just to like start the work, then usually the everything else will just fall into place. Yeah. I, I am pretty excited about this other project that I'm not writing that I'm working with this writer on because it's, it's really her baby, you know, and uh, I've just been brought in to direct it. But like she's I don't know, whatever she did, she made me care about it a ton, you know, and I I, I have a really deep understanding of the story that she's uh, telling. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not writing it, but I like I, I think about it in that kind of same special way where it is mine, you know, um, which I think is good because it, it just makes me so much more invested in the project, but I'm still like letting her have ownership of it because it is hers. And I, I have this like deep respect for the story, you know, and for the way that she's writing it because I, I wouldn't want to, um, abuse that, that trust that she's given me, you know, cause it's a lot of trust to like send your, like you're, you just finished writing your first draft of something and you're sending it to the person who's going to direct it, you know, like that's like a, it's a pretty trusting thing to do. It's been exciting. Good. Yeah. Is she implementing a lot of your ideas? Yeah. Yeah, she is. That's great. Yeah. It's... I had kind of the opposite experience on the haunted toy house. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, yeah, the writer ended up taking some of my ideas, but he was very reluctant to incorporate ideas that he hadn't come up with. I felt a lot of resistance throughout the process. Oh, yeah. So the way I kind of ended up working with him was just kind of keep letting him know I'm still here. Let me know if you need help. And then when he got stuck, I would just blast him with a bunch of ideas. Mm. Like, I don't understand how this works. I'd be like, well, it could be this or this or this or this or this. And then he would usually choose one of those. Um, and after I read his drafts, I would hold on to all my notes, like secretly. I would just have like a stack of like all my ideas and just wait for him to kind of struggle up against something. And then I would send him that note that I've been just kind of holding on to mm. just so he could feel like, because I think if I would have just given him a list of stuff, he would have ignored most of it just by how the process was going. So I, I waited for opportune moments. Yeah. Um, but even then, like even after waiting for him to kind of hit a wall, I would still offer ideas that I'd, I feel like he would find a way to shoot it down. <laughs> That's kind of natural, <laughs> though, I think. I mean, I think so. I am. I, I respected it in some ways because then I was like wow he really knows what he wants I was like that's awesome like I'm just going to go along with it and I'm going to see and I, I would have done it totally different I would have written it totally different and it was exciting to see somebody else kind of take their own point of view and come at the material and make something that is different from what I would do and I'm really excited about what we ended up with but I didn't feel like a complete collaborator on the project. And he he was really good. I, I think it, he kind of set that boundary early and just saying, you're the director, I'm the writer. 
I don't expect you to tell the story. That's my job. So he he did want me to be a little hands off, but he did ask for my advice at times. So it wasn't it was collaborative, but it wasn't like we were bouncing ideas back and forth off of each other. Like I kind of wished that the process would have been in my head when I started. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like when I started working with uh, this writer on this project, I kind of treated it like that same thing where like she's the writer, she's telling the story and, you know, any thoughts or ideas I have, I'm going to hold on to until she asks me for them. Um, and then sort of as we started going into into it in a deeper sense, I sort of, you know, she started asking me and so I started just telling her. You know, and uh, sometimes I would could I could see like the resistance, you know, um, but I, with her, I feel like she like just processes it all and then um, either uses it or doesn't. And I don't expect her to take every note that I give, but I think I at least like that she thinks about every note that I give, you know, which is cool. No, I think it would have been frustrating than if it, if it had been on the total opposite end for me and he took every single note. Then I'd be like, well, why do I, you know, I might as well just write this myself. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. right. It, it, so it yeah. was good. It was good to have the resistance. But yeah, there were times where just like, why is he resisting every single one of my ideas? Are they that bad? Yeah. I think the, 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 the best way I like to collaborate, and this isn't just for writing, this goes for like, you know, a composer or for a visual effects artist or for anything is like, if I give them a list of notes that they don't just take my notes and implement them as I wrote them, that they take them in, they process them themselves, and then they, they go in and they, they do their own thing based off of what I've said to achieve the goal that I'm trying to achieve. Um, because if they do it the other way, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a visual effects artist. Like, I don't know if these, if doing exactly what I say is going to fix the problem, but I mean, this is the problem that I need fixed. And, you know, I feel like I, I want them to process the notes and then turn it into, uh, you know, their own unique solution to those notes in a way. Like sometimes I'll feel like somebody just takes my notes and just does them exactly. And then it's like, but that doesn't work. And then they're like, well, yeah, I know. Why'd you give me that note? Well, that's what you asked for. And it's like, ah, but I'm not you. I'm not a composer. I'm not a visual effects artist. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that happens when people just give up. Yeah. They they just don't even know anymore. Like, I don't know what this guy wants. I'm just going to do what he says. Hopefully, hopefully he'll just go away after that. Yeah. They're just, you know, I've, I've <laughs> actually gotten that sometimes where they, they, they implement the note poorly on purpose. And then it's like, okay, we'll just go back to the way that you had it before. And they're like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. A little passive aggressive. Well, should we talk about story at all this week? I don't know. I wanted to talk more about your lookbook um, just because mm -hmm. I read it last night and I thought it was really good. And um, I mean, oh, I, thanks. I don't let, let's set some foundation for that. So sure. Last week, I think I talked about this uh, haunted toy house is finished. We have a finished draft and I think next steps for me were to, make a lookbook to go along with the screenplay to make sure that anyone reading the screenplay really understood what we were going for because part of it part of it came from was that there's a style of kind of raunchy comedy built into the dialogue and if you imagine the wrong characters saying that stuff I think it could be off-putting mm. I didn't want it's not like the hangover it's more like togetherness on HBO so I wanted to make make it like kind of clear what it was what I was going for. So I sent Alric the script and the lookbook, 
and you can take it from there. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting because like you use some images from neighbors, um, which I would say is borderline on in hangover territory. You know, yeah, it is. Um, it is. It's very close. Yeah, but I felt like it had enough humanity. Like I hate the Hangover, which is why I brought that one. Up. Uh, boom! Like that, that movie <laughs> really pisses me off. Like I hate every single one of the characters. I think they're all assholes. There's nothing I like about them. I didn't laugh. I I remember thinking it was going to be so funny, and then I watched that movie, and I laughed maybe once, and then after it was done, I looked at all my friends like. That was it. That's the movie everyone was talking about. That was dumb. Wow. I wonder if it's a. I wonder why you had such a, a negative reaction to it. Because I mean, yeah, all the characters are assholes, but that's kind of the point. It's like how in Seinfeld, like all the characters are kind of assholes, you know. But what I like about Neighbors is, I guess I can understand the plight of trying to feel like you're grown up. I, I don't have kids, but I related to Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen, like buying a house like starting a family and they're just like yeah man we're like finally adults but they're really immature they're like they're young parents and they're still trying to figure out how to live life and i that was something i could relate to and i thought that was very human and very real i appreciate that about most i know it's not a judd apatow movie but his movies tend to come from a really real place even when they get raunchy and over the top they're still about like human experiences. Yeah, I think because I, I saw Neighbors too, and I, I mean I liked it, uh, of course. I mean it was it was funny, but I mean I, I don't know. I just kind of wish that the parents hadn't been as over the top and silly as they were, and that they were more of the straight characters, and that they let the crazy frat house just be all this, do the silliness. <laughs> and I think that they yeah. like they had the parents and the baby be a little too silly at sometimes, which kind of like took me out of out of it sort of and was just like I know I was rolling my eyes a little bit um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah but your lookbook was um, was really cool because it, it just uh, I feel like I, I got a real good sense of mood I definitely because like you keep on calling it a horror comedy but based mm -hmm. off your boards like I just really kind of feel like it's a horror movie you mm -hmm. know and uh, and just like maybe a little bit of a comedy I mean is that accurate or is it really half and half you'd have to I think you'd have to read the script okay. to really feel it. Cause I think visually it does play off like a horror movie, but the way that the characters talk and act is more like a comedy. And maybe, maybe you're right when I, and other people will see this too. We earlier drafts of the script, like definitely were more horror. And then we just, I kept pushing more comedy into it. Cause I wanted to really find something different about it. I think in the same way that scream, was a horror movie but it's comedic because the characters that are in that movie are comedic yeah but premise itself is pure slasher film there's nothing different about the premise they didn't like try to make the premise funny and that's the same thing like there's nothing funny about the premise of our movie it's more about the characters being comedic so mm. there wasn't so much that i could do in the lookbook i think to get the comedy across so i think that's going to come from the script um but the visuals yeah definitely it's like straight on horror movie and i think i could even direct this as a straight on horror movie if you rewrite all the dialogue and how the characters act i think it could be a straight horror movie but what i'm interested in is kind of blending the two mm. and seeing if i can pull it off and i and I might find that i can't and that people don't believe in it because it is a hard sell i was trying to find 
uh, box office success of comedy horror movies, and uh, it's not a lot. Well, Shaun of the Dead, a, right? I mean, that's probably one of the best. Yeah, examples. but that's that's more comedy. I would say mine's like horror comedy, mm. but most comedy horror movies are comedy first, horror what, second. What's do you had? Because I I didn't I didn't really read it super super detailed. Uh, I just kind of like yeah. skimmed over and, and read most of it. But uh, did you give exact examples of movies that you're trying to be like? Um, not really. I think it's more just kind of hints. Like I I brought up Scream. Right. I think Scream is probably the closest thing. Mm. Um, the Wayne Brothers did a haunted house spoof that did really well box office wise re- recently right but that's not what we're going for so that's that's a hard one um have you seen yeah. a movie called uh, night of the creeps from the 80s have you seen that no it's a uh, it's really interesting it's it's um it's a horror m- movie but it's also a little bit science fiction and it's definitely funny um but it's I think it might be sort of the the tone that you're going for because it's not um it's not like a comedy horror it's it's more like a horror that is funny you know yeah um, oh, cool. so I think that would be an interesting one and then uh uh what's it called I think it's Return of the Living Dead or Return of the Night of the Living Dead have you seen that um where which one's that so it's like it starts in a warehouse where a kid is uh, working with an old man and he's telling a story about the making of night of the living dead and like how they oh, left no. a prop like in the bottom of the <laughs> warehouse and then they go yeah. down there and then like the zombie ooze gets out and then there's like some punk kids at a graveyard next door to the warehouse who are like, you know, hanging out waiting for their friend to get off work. And then it's just like this big kind of like over the top zombie sort of thing. Um, but I think that movie also has a kind of the tone that I envision when I read your lookbook, you know, where it's, uh, it's funny, but it's, it's kind of held, treated seriously, but there's some funny, but there's funny moments and kind of funny characters, you know? Um, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. The comedy horror genre has a lot of different subgenres within it. So it's like you have, your kind of campy Beetlejuice stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you have kind of like the gore comedy, which is like evil dead. Right. right. I would say a lot of, a lot of the comedy stuff that seems to have worked in the past is kind of gore based. So like the early Peter Jackson stuff too. um, Yeah. Was that one like slither and yeah. You know, like a lot of those things. So what ours is is the haunted haunted house story mixed with comedy, which which there's not a lot of. So it's like there's a lot of haunted haunted house stories right now, or or haunting stories like Insidious mm-hmm. and The Conjuring, um, Amityville Horror is like a classic, and uh, I'm trying to think what just oh Poltergeist that they just remade, but none of them. I don't think any of them have ever mixed comedy with the with that kind of haunted house thing. Maybe it was at 13 ghost did a little bit of that. And I, I didn't see a whole lot of it, but it's just a, it's a weird sub genre of the comedy horror thing. And not a lot of it has worked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, my, what I would want out of this movie just personally, and I don't know if this is exactly what you're going for, but it, it would be like to have these characters who might be like, who'd fit into this kind of neighbors, raunchy comedy sort of situation, you know, but uh, reacting to the situation in a realistic manner, you know? So like being like with that funny over the top dialogue, but when things start to go down, like not, 
not having it up. You know? Not having all those little quips and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know you love the quips, um, but uh, well, I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to read the script and see and see what I feel about it. And I mean, you know, and and realize. Yeah, I'm just curious to see how you how you treat how it goes, how you treated it, you know, because I think yeah, visually I'm, I'm so on board too. with it. You know, I'm like, oh, this is looks amazing. You know, well, part of the reason I made the lookbook was your reaction to Spirit Machine. Oh, really? So, and I, this is on the notes is something I wanted to talk about this week is that one of your biggest complaints about the Spirit Machine was that it was too much of a normal movie too much of like kind of a typical Hollywood movie and you said it's even like very similar to the new Transformers with Mark Wahlberg. Did you watch that and, after And I went and I watched the opening to Transformers. I was like, "Oh my god, they it's the same opening." Right. Like there's even plot devices I used in earlier drafts like that them being evicted from the house. Right. So <laughs> my story is a father and his teenage daughter are searching for Thomas Edison's lost invention. And in Transformers, it's a father and his teenage daughter. He's an inventor. Their house is being evicted. He finds uh, a lost invention, quote unquote, which is Optimus Prime. And yeah, there's so many overlaps. There's like a scene in, in my script where she brings him breakfast, I think, and maybe in an early draft. And then in Transformers, she brings him breakfast. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it was like there were so many crazy overlaps with it. So I could totally see like what you were saying. But then at the same time, it's like, but I would never do it this way. Yeah, exactly. I would never cast Mark Wahlberg as a dad. Right. So one of my questions <laughs> to you is, like how much of a screenplay is inherent in the actual words and how much of it is based on the the execution of it because i would never direct it like michael bay so my movie would never look like transformers so could i escape the words that sound like a typical hollywood movie and make it feel more kind of like an indie movie just by nature of how I direct and the people I choose and how I get them to act and how I shoot things or am I just trapped and that I think that's part of the reason why I wrote the script the way I did is because in my head it's like well I'm smarter than uh, the, some of those Hollywood directors like I'll I'll come at it from a very human place like it's gonna it's gonna be like so much more grounded in reality even if they're saying stuff like it's a Hollywood movie right but maybe I'm wrong maybe it won't be that way so I when I was putting together the haunted toy house i was thinking about that it's like well i don't want anybody to misconstrue what i'm trying to achieve with the script right i would hate for them to read my script and think of um what's the guy's name in the hangover that's like the, the total dick uh, uh, a st uh whatever stew uh say that again uh stew uh bradley cooper's character bradley cooper yeah yeah, I didn't want anyone to think Bradley Cooper was the star of Haunted Toy House because it's not the kind of guy I want. <laughs> yeah, and that would change the entire movie if you just put Bradley Cooper in the starring role. It changes everything. Right. So I wanted to be like very clear about what I was going for, so when people read the script, they could kind of see that world, and hopefully, it would be more interesting the way I was approaching it than the obvious way that it. Uh, some other people might come at it. Well, I think Bradley Cooper is a bad example because he's an amazing actor and he can do a lot of different things. Like, but yeah, Bradley Cooper from The Hangover specifically, like, yeah, that would be bad. Which I think you could easily read the script and be like, oh, it's it's the alpha male type, right? You know? Right. It's a it's Zac Efron from 
from Neighbors. Like, no, 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 it's not Zach Efron from Neighbors. It's Seth Rogen from Neighbors. It's more nerdy. <laughs> right, more nerdy, the nerdy character. Yeah, what was I going to say? Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I was going to answer your question about uh, whether or not uh, the you know how a script will end up is inherent in the script or if like your directing choices can change things and i kind of feel like my my answer is kind of cryptic it's like yeah you know <laughs> you you could take spirit machine the way you wrote it and you could direct it way more um in a in a human indie way than someone like michael bay but i think like having it written in that manner uh it, it keeps you like it's dangerous like like falling into the trap of doing it in the in the Michael Bay like Hollywood way I think is 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 there. It's not like you're trapped. It's like you're you're walking on the par- the precipice, you know, and like why why set yourself up for that, you know, that danger, you know? Cuz should- I like to play dangerously. Don't you know this about me? <laughs> yeah, Everything in so. my life needs to be a huge risk. Well, Otherwise it's not worth it. Filmmaking in, in general is is inherently risky in, in my mind, you know, so I don't know where I think we're all playing with fire. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, trying to set yourself up for success in the best way. I think that's what I'm trying to do with whatever script I'm writing and, and whatever, you know, project I take on. It's like trying to, you know, make sure I'm t- telling a story that is going to hook people um, you know, but I think I think that, yeah. but I don't think I actually live that way because like I'm I look at strange thing and I look at brother and they're both not very super traditional in in a lot of senses you know and it's like I sort of just told the story that I wanted to tell inside and maybe that's a good thing because maybe that makes it these these movies more interesting or maybe it's maybe I should be more traditional and and should just follow like you know a formula a little close more closely well i think that's what makes the the first movie so interesting is that we don't know yet we've never done it right. so <laughs> we're guessing about like what's going to make make a successful and entertaining feature but since we don't have experience telling a feature-length story there is a little bit of like you know i fall into the trap of i don't want to do the same thing everyone's been doing like i want to do my own thing you know i want to i want to take what people have been doing and put my own twist on it. Right. And right. you know, that's the, you're right. There's a danger in that and that it might not work out and it could completely fail. And you, I guess the, the question for any first time filmmaker is like, what, where do you see this movie kind of living? Like how, how is this movie gonna, I guess, how does this movie fit, fit into the world? Right. How does it fit into the world? And like, how's it going to find its audience? And like, what kind of people do you think are going to be attracted to this type of movie? I think those are all really good questions to ask. And like the way that I've been thinking about, you know, filmmaking lately, especially the last couple of weeks is that, you know, whenever I go into my next project, like, I, like being more specific is sort of something that I'm, I'm after. I just watched, rewatched Boogie Nights. Uh, a couple of days ago and you just watch that movie and it, like the specificity with everything that they've done, they did in that movie, whether it's the shots, uh, the story, the characters, uh, the, the, you know, uh, set design, uh, the costume design, it's all like super specific and uh, yeah, just carefully it's like, crafted. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's something that I want to uh, strive to achieve, you know, with what I'm doing is like have a very clear vision for what I'm trying to execute and what I'm trying to go after, you know? So I think 
having that that vision and that clarity, I think is really key. And that was one of the things that I thought was really great about your lookbook, because whether or not you actually have that, like that's what you projected through your book is it was a very, it was very specific and clear, but it was almost like specific and clear, like towards the horror movie route, you know? Um, and I think that like little, like that spice, that little, you know, little extra bit that you want to add with the comedy. I think that was, that's, that's definitely like you communicate that cause you do say horror comedy like consistently throughout, but um, I don't think that you really get a good sense of what that's going to actually look like, you know, from the lookbook. And I think you, you said it like, how, how can you, you know, like you can't really show that in a visual way <laughs> it's not, very right, well. It's not, a, it's not a visual comedy, so I can't really pull pictures. And for people who don't know what a lookbook is, it's it's really I mean, the way that I did it. It's a document that has pictures and text in it. And it describes like my approach to the different aspects of the film. So I talk about each the kind of big props in the movie. I talk about the overall look, how we're going to light the set, how the set's going to be designed, who I'm going to cast as the characters. And then a lot of just different photographs to show the tone of it. I've also seen lookbooks because I was looking online yesterday and I found an article about why a lookbook is important. And basically, it's to show the finished movie without having to shoot anything. Um, some people put together like a reel with voiceover that describes like how the film is going to look. And it's just shots from other movies. I think there's different ways to go about it. But the way that I do it is based off of my experience in advertising and pretty much what all Rick saw is what a director's treatment for a commercial would look like. I think my lookbook is around 30 pages. And I, th I think a commercial treatment sometimes is that long for a 30 second commercial. Wow. Yeah. I uh, And I just did that for a whole feature, just 30 pages for an entire feature. Yeah. And I think your length is, is about right. I don't think you'd want to be much longer than that. Cause I've, uh, I've read a few lookbooks, uh, for features, uh, in the past that I've gotten from other friends, uh, either their features or features from people that they know. And, uh, they, they range in length from like, yeah, 15 pages, 20 pages. Yeah. To like 30, 40 pages. But I feel like, you know, as concise as you can be, you know, the better, right? Like you don't want to just go on and on forever about, about these things. Cause I think people, people will get it as, as few pages as you need to tell it, you know, but I think all it's just like anything else in filmmaking, it's about efficiency that the quicker and more distilled, you can say something, the stronger it is. Yeah. Like the only thing that I thought that yours didn't have that I've seen in others is like a little bit of breakdown of the budget you know and like like how mm -hmm. you're gonna spend spend the money and like where it's gonna go and like what what tier movie it is is there a reason why you left that out was that just you know like did you think about it at all or did you just think oh i don't know i to? never i didn't even know that that's a part of lookbooks like again it's this is based on what i've seen directors give to us for commercials so that's my only experience with it and it was more of just a tool for me as a director um, I thought that a producer would kind of do the money part of it. Right. I didn't know that it was up to me. I don't think it is necessarily. I, I mean, I like some of the ones I've read don't mention it. Some just have one line about like, oh, it's going to be in the one to two million dollar range. Um, I've seen some that actually break uh, down gotcha. the break down the budget. Like it's like a page and it says 
this is the overall range of budget and like this is how we're breaking it down through pre-production and post-production you know um so i've seen that too but I, I don't know how important it is because i think you're right like that's the, what the producer is there for and you're just trying to communicate a vision to get a producer or you know potentially an investor excited about it right that's kind of where i'm at right now is like i want this to be a tool to get the producer excited and also so the producer knows what my expectations are with the look and feel and how, if i'm using cg or practical so when she can put the budget together based off of my approach to the film yeah exactly I mean I've been thinking a lot about what I want my out of my career and what I want to do next you know I've been I don't know it's been a kind of an up and down emotional battle for me the last couple of weeks mainly like just thinking about the movie I made with brother and how I'm not sure if it's turned out to to be the movie that I wanted it to be you know and I don't know how people are going to react to it uh but also yeah. just being proud of it at the same time, you know, and then I've also been struggling with like the marketing, like how I want to approach that part of it. And I, you know, I thought I wanted to release the trailer and then I talked to like a, you know, a marketing sales friend of mine and he thought I was insane for trying to release it so soon and that I should save my ammunition for when it's closer to when it's actually going to be released because that's when people are actually going to care and like retain the information. Um, but then, yeah. You know, but then a big part of me just wants to have the trailer out into the world so I can just like show people something from it and be like, hey, here's the movie I made, you know, like this is what I got going on. Um, so maybe I, right. maybe I, I'm not just sitting around doing nothing. Right. So maybe I just release it and, and then not get, do a big push for it, but just like put it out into the world and like not send my press release to everybody and then, you know, just approach it that way. Um, but like I don't, I don't really know what the right answer is. I just, I just think that I want to tell people, man. I want, I want people to know. Uh, so maybe that's, maybe I know, that's it's it. It's so hard. It's hard to sit on something that you want to share with people. I've, I've definitely been in that situation many a times where, like, it's, it's a film and it's finished, and I just want people to see it. But the timing is so important. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to sacrifice your. Uh, immediate gratification just so and and then or sacrifice the film's release just so you can satisfy your immediate gratification yeah i think whatever i end up doing with it like i probably won't like send out a press release or do a big push now because you know what's what's good of like having an article written about it when the movie's not going to be released for like <laughs> five months you know like people will forget like I, I want all the articles and all the press to come when the movie's about to be released online so I can like you know capitalize on that and get those hits you know right you have to think about it like advertising we call it a call to action right at the end of the ad you want people to do something so at the end of the article if you have something for people to go and do go and watch your film that's so much more powerful than them just reading an article about Ulrich Purcell and this movie he made that they can't even watch it I mean I, I don't know like what do you think about having the trailer and the movie done at the same time I mean I wonder how many people will like watch the 30 second trailer rather than watching the movie like would they actually watch the 30 second trailer to decide whether or not they're going to watch the 10 minute movie or are people just like going to click on one thing and one thing only you know like that's another question <laughs> hmm. That's an interesting one because, yeah, it's like trailers work for feature films because it is a big investment. You have two hours 
and you want to watch the trailer and see if you're interested before you you put the two hours in but if i'm a viewer online and i click on your trailer let's say you you go on twitter and you say hey my new movie's out check out the trailer and if you like it go watch my short i might just click on the trailer and unless the trailer was so spectacular i probably wouldn't watch your feature i mean your your entire short i would just watch the trailer Mm, interesting yeah i don't know so I, i think probably what i'll end up doing is just releasing the trailer like now ish you know and then um not doing a huge push for it, just like sending it out to people and letting people know, you know, and then um, when the movie's out, then just release the movie because then that way, you know, the trailer's there, people can find it if they want to. And then like, as I do like press up to releasing the movie, cause I will do like probably like, you know, two weeks or a week ahead of time, I'll start talking about it, you know, like movie coming out on this date or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, then release it, you know, and then that way there can be a little bit of buzz before the release comes out. I would say that the trailer is probably a good thing. Just in, if you think about it in terms of a brand, like there's a brother brand and you're going to get the brother brand out into the world. So people, when they hear brother later on, when it is released, they'll be like, there's a recall of like, oh yeah, I saw that trailer six months ago. What I think you should be careful of is sending that trailer out before your release because from uh, a user standpoint if i'm getting a bunch of links hey my movie's coming out my movie's coming out and there's like this youtube link each time then when your movie comes out and there's another youtube link it might just kind of get lost in my head with all the other youtube links so i would make it so that youtube link of your film is something really special that when you do send it out it's like oh there's a youtube link yes click on it so it's almost like create a vacuum uh like i want to see brother i want to see brother and then this link comes out and i click on it rather than filling twitter and facebook with a bunch of links of your trailer leading up to it if that makes any sense yeah that's interesting i think i think there's some validity to that um you know i think that it's all in how how you do it too right like i think you could just have a link you know and and like brand it trailer link you know and do a hyperlink you know so it's not just a random link that it just says brother trailer and that's what you click on because mm-hmm. i think if you if it's done that way then people will know that oh yeah that's obviously not that's not the full movie and then yeah i don't know i think i don't know i, I think there's some more thought to be have to have to be put into this but uh I think I am just going to release the trailer now just because, like, you know what? It just needs to be out, you know? Like, I just need I don't to think show it'll people. Hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have my 300 or whatever Facebook, uh, you know, fans who have been fans of the movie since I shot it. And I just want to give them something else, you know, besides stills. <laughs> you know, like, I yeah, just want to... I think they'll be excited. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're definitely not talking about story this week. Um <laughs> Let's see. Maybe, yeah, I don't know what the the topic of this week is. I think it's a a bunch of random thoughts and ideas. I think it's good. I think it's fine. So, yeah, is there anything else that you want to talk about today, Timothy? Like, what are you feeling? Like, you feeling pretty good? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I I mean, for, I mean, this breaks our format a little bit. We, we We wanted to talk about story today, but there's just so many things in my mind that I just, I wanted to do something like this, so I'm happy with it. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll just kind of call it like a, a pod, 
an episode about lookbooks. You know, I was thinking a podcast about nothing. That would be a good a good title. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> this episode is about nothing, right? But we talk about a lot. I, I I wanted to add something about in the final thoughts, just about you know where this what this podcast is and where it's going and how how I want to think about it. And I mean, I want to hear from the listeners. Like, what do you, what do you guys think? Like, do you think that we're coming off as as like know it all experts, or do you think that we're achieving our goal of just sharing our own experience of being struggling filmmakers and this is what we're doing to, to 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 solve problems and to make our movies and you know we're not saying that this is how you have to do it but this is just how we're doing it like is that coming across or are we are we just crossing over the line into like you know teaching and you know tips and you know like whatever is, is that coming off in that way too much like i want to hear from people like what do you guys think you know yeah, and also tell us what can we do better? What what would really help you out? So anyone who loves this podcast already, is there something that you just feel like we could be doing that would make it a better experience and that would be more helpful to you? That would be good to know also. Yeah, absolutely. Like what what could we be doing better that would make this a more useful and a more valid podcast than what we're doing now? Like what could that be, you know? Let us know. Yeah, because really right now, I'm just enjoying talking to you. So it's fun to do these. But I also just worry about the people that are listening that somebody's benefiting from it. So at, at a certain point, it does got to have to be something not just for ourselves. And we have enough people listening that I do want to make it about the people listening just as much as it's, it's about us. So Please, everyone, chime in. Let us know. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and how we can do better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else that you want to add? Any other things from this week that you want to throw out there? Well, we have to talk about episode 20. We haven't decided what that's going to be, but yeah. we can do that off the podcast. Right. <laughs> Whatever it is, uh, folks, it'll be amazing. Whether it's a guest, whether it's <laughs> something completely different, um, it's going to be crazy awesome. So stay Just tuned be for that. prepared to wait two weeks for it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think we're good. Cool. Well, well, let's, why don't you uh, take us out? I'm taking us out. All right. Thanks for listening. Help other people find us and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at MMIH Podcast, at Timothy Plain uh, for Timothy, and at Ulrich B for me. And we also have a Facebook page, so uh, find us there. You know, like us, uh, like message us, let us know what you think, you know, interact with us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we should plug over my dead body, which is what we probably should have talked more about today, but, uh, that's, that's right. what we need to really be marketing now is, uh, the release of the film, which is on what, what date is it again? Is it the October 24th? It's is on, that right? Yeah. Saturday, October 24th, which from the time that this podcast comes out will be about two weeks away in San Jose. And we've been told it's going to be a sold out screening. So if you're interested in coming out, to see the film or to meet us in person, uh, buy your tickets online for the San Jose International Short Film Festival, Saturday, October 24th. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to try to get there earlier and see some of the other short film screening blocks. I don't know how early I'm going to get there, but I, I, I like to, you know, these film festivals are so much fun. And I think it's such a, a learning opportunity for a filmmaker that I, I just want to try to capitalize on it. So I'm going to probably go or buy tickets for the whole day or like at least two or three shows before our show. So yeah, come watch movies with me, man. You know, like I think it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> and then uh, I think we haven't really talked about this, but I'm going to just make an executive decision as producer that we're going to release the movie on the Monday after <laughs> the film, the film festival. So, you know, yeah. everybody will get to see it first. The first uh, viewing showing will be Saturday. And then if you wait a couple of days, you'll get to see it Monday morning. Uh, and hopefully it'll be on everything from short of the week to film shortage, to variety, to uh, the Hollywood Reporter, and everything else. <laughs> and uh, Ulrich and I will be famous, and we're going to stop making the podcast and go make our first feature film. Uh, we will not stop this podcast, not unless uh, not unless we're absolutely unable to do it. I, w- I would lo- I want to keep on doing this, especially if we uh, start, uh, you know going upward on our trajectory i think that would be even more oh, fascinating yeah, absolutely that's when it's going to take off <laughs> yeah. we'll just have to hire somebody to edit the episodes for us exactly we'll be too busy to edit our own episodes we'll be like oh no we need a producer and an editor and <laughs> you know a publicist and all those things <laughs> <laughs> i love the stream yeah Absolutely. Um, so I guess, is there anything else we should plug? I think we're good. I'm not going to plug brother trailer just because, um, if it, if it's out, it'll be on the show notes. If not, um, you know, it'll be out soon, but, uh, if it is find it. (laughs) Cool. Over my dead body is the only thing. So we're good. Thanks. Thanks for that great sign off. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. Have a, have a great week, everybody. See you for episode 20. (laughs) Bye. See you. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.